If we haven't met, my name is David, and I'm a part of the community here at New Life Wichita. I serve on the tech and media group, so it's that, that group that's in the far back with the computer and the camera. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Which means that most of our Sundays look a lot like this. I'll let you guess which one is which. <laughs> Unsung heroes from Sunday morning. So if you're watching us online, you can thank a, a tech person. Or if the screens are working, you can thank a tech person. <laughs> but I'm super excited as we continue our series on piecing it all together. I realize that I'm a new face. Uh, Chad is actually on a bit of a break right now. And if you haven't had the pleasure of having coffee with Chad or, or just getting to chat with him. I mean, he is as authentic as it gets. He's the kind of person that you can talk to, share any concerns that you have. You, you can bounce anything that you're dealing with off of him, and, and Chad is it's just open book, willing to listen. A little bit more about myself. I, I'm a California native and adopted Kansan, husband to an amazing wife, Amber, and a full-time father to two wonderful energetic, curious, and fun boys. My spiritual journey as a follower of Jesus started when I was very young. Uh, I grew up in a Christian context, and I've always been fascinated by theology or the study of God. And for some reason, I mean, it's, it's like God has been tugging at my heart, and I simply can't, can't let it go. And that's one of the things that I love about this community, and that is the people. I mean, if you look around you, you'll notice that you are surrounded by authentic, genuine people, people that want to make a difference in the city and in this community, people that are passionate about the next generation, people that come in early on Sunday mornings to convert this place, this space of the Metroplex into an area where you, your family, and your friends can be loved because we believe in an eternal creator that loves us, and so we love others. You're surrounded by people that are dealing with questions and doubts. People that have been hurt by the church. And you're surrounded by people that want to help people find and follow Jesus. So if this is your first time here, or if you're watching us online for the first time, we hope this certainly isn't your last because we've created this space with you in mind. Now, the main idea of the series, Piecing It All Together, is to help you understand this sometimes confusing and sometimes complicated book that we refer to as the Bible. It's 66 books written by over 40 different authors over a period of 2,000 years on three different continents in three different languages, and yet it tells one singular story about God's pursuit of mankind. And to help each of us understand how it all pieces together and that the greater story unfolding is our story, is your story, we're breaking down the text to eight key people with eight different words. Now, some of you have an amazing relationship with this book. You wake up each morning, you read it with your cup of coffee and your journal and a pen, and it speaks to you in ways that maybe it doesn't speak to others. But some of you struggle when it comes to the Bible. You were given a copy with the best, and I mean the best intentions, but not a whole lot of instruction other than read it and apply it because it's all good. So you started to read it and you quickly learned that some of those innocent characters from the Bible that you grew up learning about were 
We're not so innocent anymore. And you started to see what's in it and that the loving and compassionate Jesus of the New Testament, he makes sense. He speaks to you. You can relate. But the, the God of the Old Testament, not so much. So you started to have questions. You started to ask those questions, but some of the answers that you received simply didn't satisfy. And you've seen how this book has been used. It's been weaponized. And you want nothing to do with it. You've wrestled with it. Like you've, you've really, really wrestled with the text. In some cases, you've come to the conclusion that you just no longer believe. And there's hurt. There's trauma, and there's exhaustion. And your relationship with this book is complicated. And I get that. <laughs> I understand. I see you. And then there are others that, you know, the truth is you've never read it. You know bits and pieces about it, or you know what other people have said or told you, but you've never actually read it for yourself. And so all I ask is that, just for a moment, just for a moment, you, you put all those bad experiences aside, all those other things that people have told you about why this book is irrelevant or unreliable, and that we would engage this book with fresh eyes. And so today we're continuing in the book of Genesis. We're going to be looking at another well-known individual, Abraham. And so if you have a, a copy of your Bible or if you have your Bible app, I'd like for you to turn to Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 22, and you can kind of hold off there. We'll get to it. But it's unfair to talk about Abraham without talking about promise, which is our key word for today, or faith. So if you grew up in a Christian context, you may have heard this many times. The author of Hebrews says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we did not see. I always thought that this was about praying harder or longer about believing, like, like actually believing. And so I would close my eyes, I would raise my voice, I would pray as long and as hard as I could. But when things didn't work out our way, or when that one thing that we wanted, or that one person that we were praying for didn't get healed, you just weren't believing enough. You just needed more faith. You just needed more belief. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about obedience and trust. Okay, so here's one fact about me. I'm afraid of heights. They say you conquer your fear by facing them. And so earlier this year, there was a group of us here who went over the edge of the Ambassador Hotel and out some of you crazies, including my wife, Love you. <laughs> you guys also participated in this, and you enjoyed it. And it's funny because I've come to learn that Wichita is filled with so many thrill seekers. It's filled with skydivers, mountain hikers, rock climbers, and, and even scuba divers, which is surprising to me considering how far we are from the nearest mountain or ocean. But that day, I was a wreck. Now, for, for some of you guys that don't know, the Ambassador Hotel is 172 feet tall, 14 floors, and is considered one of the tallest buildings in, in downtown Wichita. You've probably driven by it many times and you've missed it. But 
I didn't miss it that day. We arrived at, at the hotel, and, and it's funny because there was a, a small crowd that was gathered, and they were looking up at the building, and they, it looked like it was two little ants that were coming off the side of the building. And then there, there's a couple that walks by, and, and you know, they're clueless. It's Saturday morning, and they kind of gather to see what, what this whole thing is about. And then they, they kind of stare up, and they see that there are these, these people that are coming off the side of the building, and then the whole demeanor changes. And, and they start to get scared. And I'm watching this. I'm like, great, okay. <laughs> and then one of them says to, to the other person, it's like, those people are crazy. I'm like, great, thanks, thanks. That, that helped me out a whole lot. And so at that moment, I start to reconsider life's choices. I'm like, what's the meaning of life? Like, what is this whole thing about? Do I really want to do this? So I got back in the car and I left. No, <laughs> I did it. <laughs> I, I was sent to a room where five of us, including Amber, we were secured to harnesses and climbing equipment, including helmets. Like, that was going to matter. But... <laughs> Next, we make our way to an elevator, and we're, we're taken to the very, very, very top. And I mean, it felt like we were in the elevator forever. Not just that, we got to the very top, and then we were told, okay, you're going to go through a special access door, you're going to climb some stairs, and then, then you're going to be at the very top. We're met by a guy named Mike. And, you know, later I realized that you know, Mike is, is one of those guys that he was ex-military, he was a SWAT officer, and to put us at ease, he kind of shows us the ropes and the equipment that's going to guide us on our descent, because we, we weren't just going to rappel over the edge, but we were also kind of responsible for how and how fast we were going to go down. And I tried my best to hide my fears, but Mike, Mike knew, like he knew and I must have done a bad job of hiding it. So each of us, we received the same basic instructions. You know, he instructed us on how to use the equipment, what to expect on the way down, and what we needed to do in case we, we got stuck. There was even a small practice area where one by one we kind of go, and, and the whole idea was to kind of put us at ease. And it was also so that we could trust the equipment. It, I mean, multiple times it was like, you have to just let the harness carry your whole body weight. It's fine when you're in a small practice area and the floor is like right here. And, and so we were told that should we get stuck on our way down, we were going to let go of the harness and then we were going to make this signal. Okay, so I'm afraid of heights, all right? You tell me to let go of something that's holding me together and do this, it does not matter where I'm at. <laughs> like, that is, is scary. <laughs> and, and that signal was going to allow the people below to give us a little more rope, and then, you know, that was going to be our, our signal to keep going on, on the way down. I didn't care. I was going down a 170-foot uh, tall building, and there was nothing comforting about that. Mike wasn't worried about Amber, since we were going to go down together and so Amber's excited. She's like, all right, great. When can I go over the edge? And so he sends her over the edge, and he, he gets me last. He's like, all right, Amber, you go over. I'm going to have a word with, with your husband. 
Look how happy she looks. Like, there, there's nothing happy about that. Like, that is the tallest building in Wichita behind her, and she's like, oh, great, super excited. So, so Mike, he knew my struggle. And while my wife is waiting for me, like, there's nothing below her at that point. There's just a ledge, and then the other side, there's the edge. And, and Mike, he looks in my eyes, and he stares deep into my soul. And he's like, I've been doing this for a long time. And I want you to know that what you're doing today takes guts. I love what I do because we're helping people. And today, you're making a difference. I perk up. I'm like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm an awesome guy. Like, yeah, we are making a difference. Yeah, we are helping people. This is exciting stuff. And so he, I'm the last guy up there, and he shows me the ropes, and he explains, okay, look, this rope here is strong enough to lower or lift that car that you came in today off the side of the building, and you are connected to two of them. And then he shows me the device that's going to help navigate my descent. It was some interesting braking system. He explains to me the inner mechanisms of how it all works and what's going to happen. Should I start to descend too fast? And so I start to feel even, even more confident. I'm like, okay, okay, I think I can do this. And then next, after all final checks have been done, he walks me over to a small wall that runs the perimeter of the Ambassador Hotel. And he tells me, okay, I need you to go over that. And on the other side of that was the ledge and the edge. And I mean, it took everything inside of me. I was like, 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 I am not going over the edge of this wall because there's nothing there that's going to hold me together. I mean, internally, I had all these fears. I took a moment. I started to breathe. But after a moment of reflection, I did it. I was over the edge. Look at that. That is, man, compared to what Amber was doing... The whole time, Amber is like, hey, come on, hurry up. We got to go over the edge. She's talking to people below. She's like, hey, guys, how are you doing? You know, there's like little, little, little people down there. Okay, the, the next 10 minutes were a blur. But two things were certain. One, I was not going to get stuck. So I was going to go down as fast as I could. And, and there's a reason why there wasn't a, a GoPro camera mounted to my helmet is because all you would have seen was the rope and the wall. Like, I, I wasn't looking to the side. I wasn't looking to, to the bottom below me. I mean, it was just the rope and the wall. And so I do just that. I start to regulate my descent. I start to go down. Emery thinks I'm racing her. So she's like, oh, are we racing now? We're racing. Like, she, the whole time, she was just kind of like, oh, look at this, guys. Oh, hey, everybody, everybody. I'm like, they can't hear you. She's like, we're racing. I'm like, no, we're not racing. I'm trying to get down as fast as I can. And so, I, I mean, I start to count floors on the way down. The, the rooftop starts to shrink. That is deceiving. That is zoomed in so far, so far. Tenth floor, a third of the way there. I mean, I was gripping that rope so hard. I was gripping that handle so hard that at one point I got tired and I just needed a rest. But I, I didn't look down. I take a small break. 
I keep going. I started to hear people yelling at me. I'm like, I must be getting close. Eventually, I see the, the street lights. I'm level with street lights, and then I keep going, I keep going, and finally, touchdown. I mean, being on the ground has never felt so good. <laughs> and I mean, all of my trust, all of my trust was in that harness, that equipment, and what Mike, what Mike told me. So you guys know where I'm getting at with this. The story of Abraham is a story of trust, origins, the story of, of a messy man. It's the story of relationship. It's the story of incredible faith, the story of obedience, action, because ultimately it's the story of a trustworthy God. Now there's so much to unpack here, and we won't get to everything today, but I want to focus on one key event from the life of Abraham, and then we'll circle back to our key word, promise. We're first introduced to Abraham or Abram in Genesis chapter 11. Years have passed since the fall of the Tower of Babylon, and we're in the midst of a messy world. There were lots of cults, cultic practices, child sacrifices, all kinds of strange religions. But God, the one true God, had not yet spoken to Abraham. There's no written word. Then, God shows up in Abraham's life when he is 75. And he calls him out to his homeland, out of his homeland and into a journey, to a new land. Uh, this was no easy task. When was the last time you moved away from a city to a new city, to a new state, or to a different country? In other words, God tells him, I want you to go to a place where nobody will know your name. You're going to be a nobody. But we're told that he obeyed. His wife Sarah, nephew Lot, and his wife and the remaining family also join him in on this journey. And God makes these promises. He says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I will make your name great. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. By no means was Abraham the perfect hero. In fact, we're told that Abraham was a real person. A severe famine in the land forces Abraham to go down to Egypt. And we're told that a scared and self-preserving Abraham tells his wife Sarah to lie and say that she is his sister. And he did this twice. The second time, he did it with a different, in a different region with a different king. And he's confronted by the king. And then Abraham admits that he only cared about himself and protecting his own life from harm. Abraham tells the king, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. And God promised Abraham to make him into a great nation, except where's the kid? He's getting old. Both him and his wife Sarah have no children. And things aren't moving fast enough. At one point, they would doubt God and they would try to fulfill the promises themselves by taking matters into their own hand. And so they have a child through Sarah's maid, Hagar. And that child is Ishmael. And despite this, God stayed faithful. God promises Abraham that Sarah will no longer be barren, but will bear him a child to be his heir. 
Isaac is born when Abraham is 100 and when Sarah is 91. And we see that Abraham constantly questions God. Where's the son that's been promised to me? Why is he about to destroy the cities that are containing wicked and innocent people? And why won't Ishmael fit the bill as the long-awaited son? Other important events include Lot and his wife, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. We're told that two angels visit Lot and they save them. But Lot's wife becomes a pillar of salt when, while fleeing, she turns to view God's judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And finally, Abraham's faith is tested when God commands him to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Genesis chapter 22, verses 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. I mean, if I'm honest, I'm not liking this, right? God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham. Let's look at Abraham's response. Here I am. He said, then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Wait, <laughs> what? This doesn't sound like God. Abraham has seen God be faithful and merciful. He's watched God over and over prove his character which is what makes this so difficult, so confusing. Because when God says, take your son, your one and only son, and sacrifice him, that doesn't sound anything like the character of God that we know, that Abraham knew. And in that culture and at that time, child sacrifices were pretty normal. In fact, some of the gods that you might go to and ask for fertility, crops, or water, rain, or children... The way that you would engage with that God is by sacrificing that one thing that you wanted. And so you'd bring crops and burn it, or you'd pour out water or a child. And that was the culture around him. But it doesn't sound like God, does it? So early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, and fled. No, that was, that was Jonah. <laughs> So early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And we had cut enough wood for the burnt offering. He set out for the place God had told him about. This is a faith that has matured to where delayed obedience is not an option. See how Abraham is so trustworthy of God that he just says, yes. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. We will come back to you. We see that Abraham is confident in the character of God so much that he can say to those servants, we will come back together. And this is unbelievable. To me, because I don't know if I could say the same thing. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and knife. 
As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham's response is powerful. Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Now I know. I'm so glad it ended this way, but if I'm honest, I don't like that Abraham was put on the verge, and then God says, now I know. Now, there's so much to unpack here, but one of the things that I believe is happening here is that this was intended to point out that God says, we're not the kind of people that does child sacrifices. This would have made sense in other cultures, but we will not kill children. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Genesis 22:15 Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. In that moment, God said, because you have believed me, I now give you as a gift a righteous standing with me. You are now considered by me a righteous man, because you have chosen to put your faith in me. God wants the same thing from you that he wanted from Abraham. You know what he wants? He wants us to trust him. He wants us to walk out one night, look up at the stars, and say, God, I believe and I trust you. And, and yes, it doesn't seem like it's possible that you'd ever put my life back together. It doesn't seem like you'll ever to free me from these habits. But God, I trust you. God, I look at all the things that I've done. I, I look at all the things I've promised to do, all the pain that I've caused others, all the pain that I've caused myself. And, and I can't imagine that I would ever make it to heaven. But God, I trust you. And do you know why God wants your trust more than he wants anything else? That's because he wants a relationship with you. 
And what's the foundation of any relationship? Trust. Trust paves the way to any relationship. It's impossible to have a relationship with someone you can't trust or who won't trust you. And so, why can God be trusted? Because the beautiful thing about God is that He has not changed. His promises have not changed either. Again, three promises. Everybody is going to know your name. Yes, we've all heard of Abraham. In fact, the three major monotheistic religions consider Abraham to be father. Imagine how many people that represents. God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And that nation is Israel. And every family on earth will be blessed through you. God's plan for redemption. Here's the thing. A sacrifice was made that day, but it wasn't the sacrifice that you and I would expect. Where was the lamb? Where was the lamb? We're told that a ram was sacrificed on that day. But fast forward almost 2,000 years and 14 generations later, and a man named John the Baptizer is on the river when he sees Jesus coming. And he says, here, he says, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not then, here. And so here's the encouragement for you and me. The author of Hebrews says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we did not see. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. I'd like to invite the band to come up. And they're going to close us out with this song. I think it's pretty fitting to, to this message. There's a word here for, for you and for me, and especially all of us that have been on this journey together for a while. We've seen this, right? <laughs> we've been blessed by the church. We've been hurt by the church. We've seen how things can, can be so challenging yet so difficult in this journey and this walk that we call faith. And even if you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, like there is some words of encouragement here for you. The author of Hebrews in chapter 12 says, therefore, he says, therefore, 
Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. It's no coincidence that the author compares this to a race. I love the Olympics. It can be so exciting yet, yet so emotional. Athletes could fill an ocean with their tears because of how competitive they are. Yet not everyone is going to achieve that medal. Right? At that moment, the bitter taste of not just defeat, but countless days of hard work can simply be too much for some to handle. And more than that, quite a few athletes can't even win without tears. And while many athletes are known for their accomplishments, few are known for their defeats. British sprinter Derek Redmond was in the best shape of his life and on the biggest stage in the world when his life changed. Despite multiple surgeries in four years, he was on track to win his first Olympic medal. His confidence was contagious and his dream was not too far from reach. Redmond was in good shape and form by the time of the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. And he posted the fastest time on the first round and went on to win the quarterfinal. And in the semifinal, Redmond started well. But about 250 meters from the finish, his hamstring tore. He hobbled to a halt and then fell to the ground in pain. Stretcher bearers made their way over to him, but Remen decided that he wanted to finish the race. He began to hobble along the track, and then he was soon joined by his father, who had barged past security onto the track to get his son. And they both completed the lap of track together, with Derek leaning on his father's shoulder for support. And as they crossed the finish line, the crowd of 65,000 spectators rose to give Derek a standing ovation. He and his father finished dead last, but they finished. This is a lot of us right now. Faith. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So why can God be trusted? 
because the beautiful thing about God is that he has not changed. His promises have not changed either. He is still the promise keeper. And most of all, he can be trusted. Abraham trusted in God's promises. And though he didn't live to see the fulfillment of everything God said, his faith set in motion the plan to be fulfilled. Whether he fulfills it in your lifetime or not, you can know for sure that God will do what he has said he will do. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we have these texts. Regardless of where we are on, on this spiritual journey or this landscape, God, that that we can put our trust in you because you are a trustworthy God. You are a loving God. And we thank you that through the life of Abraham, we can see that work. We can see that work. And I pray that for whoever in this room is, is dealing with hurt or struggle, God, that you be in the midst. You reassure them that you love them and that you're there with them and that they can trust in you. And we pray all these things, God, in your name. Amen.